Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, y'all, before this episode starts, I just want to warn you, there are some curse words. They are all for the sake of feminism, but there's also another F word involved. So just be warned at this moment. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and Nerdette is a podcast where we talk to your favorite or soon-to-be favorite people sometimes about your favorite or soon-to-be favorite books. And this week, we are talking with a debut author about her novel, The Falconer, which I so wish had existed when I was a 17-year-old. A book review magazine recently compared this book to one of the most famous coming-of-age novels of all time. Here's exactly what the Kirkus Review said. Coming of age in Manhattan may not have been done this brilliantly since Catcher in the Rye. That comparison has been made before, but this time it's true. Get ready to fall in love, unquote. I don't know about y'all, but when I was about 14, I loved Catcher in the Rye so much. And even at that point, it was already over 50 years old. I couldn't believe I was reading something that had that much age to it that I could still find so utterly relatable. But Holden Caulfield, the main character of Catcher in the Rye, is kind of snarky, right? Like, he's pretty pessimistic. He has a tendency even to be cruel at times. And I have to tell you, Lucy, the 17-year-old protagonist of The Falconer, is so curious and open-hearted and willing to learn things that it is just such a thrill to see a book that is this good that exists in the world now. In addition to that amazing praise from Kirkus Booker Prize winning author Salman Rushdie called The Falconer a deeply affecting tale of a young woman coming of age in a man's world. And Anne Patchett, one of my favorite authors ever, who also just happens to own an independent bookstore in Nashville, said The Falconer has restored my faith in pretty much everything. So, with all that high praise out of the way, The Falconer is about a teenage girl who's super good at basketball in 1990s New York. It's also about first love and privilege and feminism and art and space. And it's kind of about when trying to fit in is and isn't worth it. Here to talk about all of that with us is the author of The Falconer, Dana Chapnick. Dana, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you so much for having me. So I just listed like all of this amazing, super high praise. What's it like to write a first book with like that level of expectation before it even comes out? Um, a slightly nerve wracking. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's incredibly exciting. I'm I can't lie. I'm I'm super excited about it, and um, you know, and hopefully, hopefully, the public agrees. <laughs> well, and what was it like when you specifically saw that review that compared your book to Catcher in the Rye? Well, my jaw dropped to the floor, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I read, it's funny, I read that review on, when I was on the subway, and, and like, people must have thought I was nuts because I was, like, <laughs> laughing and crying into my phone. Because oh, um, it was so, it was, I mean, this, 
like my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. On the one hand, I'm like beyond, beyond flattered because Salinger is a god to me. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, uh, I thought a lot about Holden Caulfield when I was writing about Lucy Adler. There's echoes. Well, of yeah. Him I mean, and it's her. funny. It was after reading that review and then going back through, you know, I flagged like a ridiculous number of pages on this book of just like passages that I loved and wanted to go back to. And I was going back through them as I was getting ready for this interview. And one of them was Lucy saying, is there anything more tragic than being boring? And it was just like, man, if Holden Caulfield didn't say that, like it's, yeah, the (laughs) DNA is so delightfully similar. And it's funny for me to think about it because I loved Catcher in the Rye when I was at that age. Like it was, it uh, Holden Caulfield just spoke to me in a way that nothing else that I had read, especially that was like called capital L literature ever had before. Right. Holden was also the first friend that I made in literature. And I, I read Catcher in the Rye so many times in my youth. I actually tried to avoid it when I was working on this book. I, I fear. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I fear that I may have accidentally stolen things that I don't, that's like part of my DNA that I didn't intend to. <laughs> um, and uh, some of the things that I do reference in the book is intentional. And, and I, I pray that there's nothing in there that is unintentional. Um, but I mean, one of the reasons why I wrote the book is that I've always the, the the male characters that I've always been drawn to have been characters who are just sort of wanderers and wonderers who just um, they're they're constantly contemplating what they see and and who they are and the world. And I don't know there I in my in my perhaps limited reading experience, I, I haven't come across many women, female characters who are like that outside of, you know, Virginia Woolf. I'm sure more exist that I just don't know of. But that was the one of the things that I was thinking of when I was working on this is that I, I wanted to write a female character who um, who has the space to just be and wonder. I mentioned that the book is about Lucy, our main character who plays basketball. Mm-hmm. I myself am like resoundingly not a sports fan. But I want to say, like, I think this is one of those books, like, this is just as much about basketball as something like Friday Night Lights is about football. Like, it's about basketball, but it's about so much more than that if basketball is not your jam. Right. Yes, definitely. I mean, one of my objectives was, I mean, it, it was important to me that I wanted to write about a female athlete. But I also understood that a lot of people who read literary fiction aren't particularly interested in sports. I mean, I don't want to say that that's – I don't, don't want to – that's not a completely overarching uh, stereotype. But I think it's probably pretty safe to say I've gotten that reaction from a lot of people that, you know, I don't really care about basketball. But I actually found myself enjoying those scenes in a way that I hadn't anticipated. And so it was important for me when I started working on this novel that those scenes were – weren't about the basketball so much as they were about the the character and a way to sort of illustrate the world that she comes from. So even though it's obviously a lot of action, there's sports in there, there's other stuff going on in those scenes too. Well, I think the, a lot of the other stuff that's going on in those scenes too that makes it so interesting is actually exploring power dynamics in a way that you don't normally see, but that makes a lot of sense when you read these passages, right? Right. Yes. Like I'm thinking about the pickup game kind of towards the end where these random dudes ask her to play on their team and she can mm-hmm. tell immediately that she's a lot better than they are. Right. But she decides to kind of pace herself in terms of like unveiling her skill because she doesn't want them to end up angry with her. Right. Which like, wow, what a great metaphor. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I think a lot of women can relate to that, whether or not they're basketball players or not. Um, yeah, I mean, I also want to sort of backtrack just a little bit, too, because one of the things that I thought about when when writing this book is actually one of my all-time favorite books is Rabbit Run by John Updike. <clears throat> and that opens up on a pickup basketball scene with Rabbit. And it's just one of my one of my all-time favorite uh, novel openings in all of literature. And the thing that that book or that particular opening is missing, the only thing that it's missing in my mind is that there's not a single woman on that on the page in the first, you know, in the first opening pages of that novel. My novel also opens on a pickup basketball scene, except of course it's from the perspective of Lucy. I wanted to put a woman in that scene specifically because I wanted to sort of turn that idea on its head. For not because it's so strange to have uh, a female athlete out there. I mean, there's a gazillion female athletes. It's not like some sort of parlor trick. But it definitely changes the dynamic. It changes the way you see the world when you're the only person of your kind in a certain environment that tends to be hyper-aggressive and male. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you use the phrase female athlete because even that, right, like we have to qualify the word athlete with the modifier female because otherwise we yes. would just assume that we're talking about male athletes, right? Right, exactly. Female athletes are often still the underclass when we think about uh, when we think about sports. And yet, you know, one of the most incredible athletes that ever walked the planet is Serena Williams. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought about all of that stuff when I was working on this. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think about the the quote that Salman Rushdie said about your book, too. This is about a woman coming of age in a in a man's world. And I mean, I think, you know, to a certain extent, right, we are all women growing up and existing and moving through spaces that belong to men. But I think right. it, it becomes like you, you're adding an extra layer when you're talking about athletes, too, that I think is really fascinating. Right, because it's so physical, too. I think that's part of it, too. That it's, a, it's, a, it's a physical existence. For sure. Would you mind reading a little bit? Sure. Is there a specific section that there you would like is. me to read from? Yes. Okay. It's the bottom of page 192. So what we have here is Lucy is hanging out with her cousin Violet. And Violet's like a little bit older. She's an artist. She's kind of like out in the world. Lucy's still in high school. You know, it's that time period where it's like probably not that many years in age difference, but it feels mm -hmm. just like a huge chasm because of where Lucy still is. Right. And, and Violet says, we're the first women since primordial sludge morphed into single-celled organisms who can really control our own fate. We can't fuck it up. And then Lucy says to her, how do we do that? How do we not fuck it up? And can you read Violet's response? Sure. I think the answer is probably something like, don't leave your job after you have kids. Make sure you only sleep with men who are good people. Don't just accept the shit the man serves you. Don't add to the world's injustice. Do everything you can to help other women. But the truth is that I'm wearing socks with holes in them because I can barely afford new ones, and I'm just trying to survive. So I don't know how to not fuck it up in practical terms. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm fucking it up on a daily basis. Oh, I just love that passage so much because I think it embraces a lot of really important ideas, including the fact that, like, feminism has so much nuance to it, right? And it's so yes. easy to fuck it up. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea, too, that, like, there's so much pressure on women to not fuck it up that doesn't mm -hmm. actually exist in other spaces, right? Yeah, I mean, part of what this I wanted to explore in this book is actually, you know, it's sort of being marketed as a feminist coming-of-age book, which it is, but it's also actually kind of wrestling with feminism and wrestling with what kind of a person, what kind of a woman you are, what kind of a person you are, um, the, 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 all of these warring factions that we have within us about 
how do we reconcile our political beliefs and what we think we should be doing to advance our our place in the world and like some of the more biological, uncontrollable wants and needs that we have too. Um, so that's kind of the conversation that's going on in this book. And I don't. I'm, I hope that there's no resolution. I'm not interested in particularly in a resolution. And and that's the thing that I think Violet is sort of saying here is that uh, I don't. Who the hell knows? <laughs> there's no answer. There, we don't. We don't. We're sort of carving the path for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I think we're carving the path for ourselves and we're forgiving ourselves when we fuck up. Right. You know? Totally. Like, that seems to me to be a really big piece of it, is that, like, we're acknowledging that we can't possibly be perfect all the time and that's actually a really good thing. Right. After the break, Dana talks about why she really wanted to set her book in the 90s. And it's partly because that's when she was young and not necessarily because she still wants to wear jelly sandals or flannel or crushed velvet while listening to grunge music. I think we're always incredibly nostalgic for the time of our youth. But oftentimes what we're nostalgic for is our youth and not the time that we live in. Do people say grunge music? Is that a thing? You're listening to Nerdette and not grunge music or grunge, however you say it. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There are a lot of different reasons why I liked that it took place in the 90s. I think it's such an interesting time of prosperity, but still tension. Yes, I totally agree. You know, like you had... Nirvana and like everyone was so angsty but about what exactly we're yes. not totally sure and it was really fun too to read this book just because I feel like you sprinkled you know like the someone's drinking a Capri Sun at one point or mm-hmm. like this girl borrows a, a crushed velvet dress right. or like landline like there are just these little moments where you're like oh yeah the 90s there they are <laughs> yeah. I know I look I mean in some ways I think about that a lot. I think about it was in some ways a really bizarrely angry time. Looking back on it now, we often I, I think, huh, what was that about? But I actually think that there was there was something that was like in the water that we were there was something or in the airwaves or the vibes that we were getting because I think that the early '90s, in many ways. The, the culture wars that we're experiencing now. I mean, they, they've they always existed in the United States. For sure. But there was something about the early 90s when it was real, when those when those flames were being fanned again in like mm-hmm. a really cynical. It's, it was also, too, a time um, of that the early 90s in particular was like the last moment before the Internet, which I think is the history cleaving moment of our lifetimes. Um, and... Uh, you know, in some ways, it's so much more innocent because of that. Um, and and yet, and yet, it wasn't actually an innocent time at all. I mean, the, you know, there was an AIDS crisis. 
so many of the things that we're experiencing now existed back then, too. The only difference was is that it was relatively peaceful. You know, there wasn't a war. There weren't uh, school shootings yet. Um, 9-11 hadn't happened. So in some ways, it was also like a very peaceful time because of that, too. It's interesting to think about the nostalgia around it. And it reminds me of a term that you talk about in your book, Anyaranza. Yes, Anyaranza, yeah. The idea of having nostalgia for an imagined moment. Yeah. I think we're always incredibly nostalgic for the time of our youth. But oftentimes what we're nostalgic for is our youth and not and not the time that we live in, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the 90s that was experienced the, the 90s that I experienced were was completely different from the 90s that a 60-year-old might have experienced. Sure. Um, just as, you know, a 17-year-old experiencing 2019 is going to be an, incre- an incredibly different experience or an incredibly different time than what it is to me. We tend to do that when we think of, when we think of our youth, that, that, that oftentimes our nostalgia is sort of for something that's imagined. Dana Chabnik, thank you. It was really a pleasure talking with you. Oh, thanks so much. It was a pleasure talking with you. Dana mentioned how hard it can be to find coming-of-age stories with badass female protagonists. And I think that was definitely the case even like 10 or 15 years ago. But it seems to me like things are really improving. So I think we should start a little Twitter list of just like all of our favorite coming-of-age stories that feature awesome ladies. I want to hear from you about it. Send me a tweet with your favorites. I am at Greta M. Johnson. Or, of course, you can also just tweet at Nerd at Podcast. We'll see it either way. The show is produced by myself, Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our co-creator is Trisha Bobita, and our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. Nerdette is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. You can subscribe to Nerdette on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. It is also super extra amazingly helpful if you leave us some stars on Apple Podcasts. Many thanks to Ready Now for the review. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Nerdette Podcast. We have a newsletter. I bet you're going to like it. You can find it at wbez.org slash nerdsletter. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. See ya, hotel. <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.